new preacher in a AME church. You say, what's an AME church? African Methodist Episcopal. Okay? It's a particular dom- denomination. All of the uh, Methodists came out of the Episcopalian Church, which is the Church of England. And when he got to this country, uh, the some of the slaves in the South banded together and formed a Methodist Episcopal Church. In fact, John and Charles Wesley both came to the state of Georgia, uh, early 1800s, to share the gospel and to preach in Methodist churches, actually Episcopal churches. The Methodist churches developed out of that because they developed a method for reaching people with the gospel. So instead of calling Church of England or Episcopalians, they called them Methodist. Okay? And uh, so these African churches, or these uh, black churches, uh, they uh, formed the AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. We have one in Festus, uh, the AME Church. Uh, and uh, in fact, I preached there. Uh, and uh, you see, how'd that go? Oh, it was a lot of fun. Those people try to preach you to death. Uh, they asked me to speak on diversity. And so I preached on how God likes diversity. He likes different colored birds because they're not, you know, otherwise all birds would be the same color. He likes uh, a variety of people, diversity in people, so that none of, no two of us look exactly alike, although some of us look a lot alike. Some of us have two dimples and the other one has just one. <laughs> but anyhow, and uh, praise the Lord, we don't all look like Ron or like me. Uh, God likes diversity. And so I preached on that and, and, uh, for a while and talked about diversity in other areas. And then I got down to the last 15 minutes of the sermon, and uh, they, they were following right along with me. Preach it. Preach it. Amen. Preach it. And uh, I said, there's one area where God does not allow any diversity. And things got quiet. And I said, there is only one way of salvation. And they started amening again. So I just camped out on that for a little while, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But anyhow, uh, where in the world was I going with that? (laughs) AME, AME churches. Say again? No, wasn't it? It was supposed to circle back around. First John chapter 2. Oh. This preacher, new preacher in the AME church, uh, preached the very first Sunday morning on uh, uh, against sin, how God hates sin, God cannot tolerate sin, God will not allow sin in his presence. And I mean for an hour and 25 minutes, he just wailed on them. And uh, everybody after the service, you know, shook his hand, good message, Pastor. And they all went home, and they came back the next Sunday morning, and he did the exact same thing. Different message, different text, but the exact same message. And, and uh, preaching against sin, against sin, against sin. And uh, <clears throat> after the service, everybody went home. And by this time, some of them are talking, and they say, Man, you know, I'm, th- does he not know anything about the love of God and his mercy endures forever and all that? And came back the next Sunday, and he preached the same message. Wham! Just nailed him again. And after that third service, then the deacons came to it, and they said, Now, Pastor, uh, you've preached uh, for three weeks scathing method messages against vile sinners. And uh, we, we would like to hear uh, a message about, about God's love. 
you know. And a preacher said, okay, next, next, next week I'll preach on love. That'll be the, the whole message, the love of God. And they said, okay. And so the next Sunday morning they got there, and he got out and announced his text, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. You looking at it? He began, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And he camped out on how the Father, the Father's love is not in people who love the world. And at that point, they decided, well, maybe he's not going to give us a different message until we get this one. <laughs> Another pastor went and preached the same message three weeks in a row. And finally, the deacons came to him and they said, Pastor, is that the only message you got? And he said, no, I've got a bunch more, but I'm not preaching a different one until you get this one. <laughs> Apparently, he was looking for some kind of change in people's lives. First John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, are the driving focus of merchandising and marketing. Okay? Have you ever noticed that starting about 9 o'clock at night, there are more fast food advertisements on TV than any other time? Why? Because that's their slow time. All the people who are going to eat... Eat supper at McDonald's, already been there. The people who are going to eat at, McDonald's, at Burger King or wherever, they've already been there. And so they, they get those people who have come home, kicked off their shoes, laid back in the recliner, and are watching TV, and they remind them how hungry they ought to be. You know? And apparently it works because they keep doing it. And people get up late at night, get their shoes back on, put their coats on, Go down to McDonald's and get, uh, what was it last time? Uh, Ten-piece chicken nuggets for their wife. <laughs> you know? Or whatever. <laughs> but the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Why do we have to drive a new car? Well, because so-and-so got one. So-and-so got one. Yeah, but... What's that have to do with anything? A new car is basic transportation. What's an old car? Basic transportation. What's walking? Basic transportation. So why the, all the, the, the expense, the millions of dollars that are spent on advertising for car companies? It appeals to the pride of life. Our desire for luxury, the lust of the flesh. And our desire to have people look at us and think, wow, aren't they something? The lust of the eyes. And there, John writes and he says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Why? Because it makes us focus on this world. 
Here we are living on this incredibly long line that stretches to eternity. And our life is just a dot on that line. And God wants us to focus on the line. And instead, we're focusing all our time, all our attention, all our money, all our effort on the dot. That's exactly what Satan wants for us. That's not of the Father. That's of the world. And the world passes away. And the lust thereof. We generally only use that phrase when we're, when we're in trouble. When we're having difficulty. And it came to pass. I know one guy, he said that was his favorite verse of scripture. And it came to pass. Well, it's not even a whole verse. Just part of a verse. And sure enough, it did come to pass. It didn't come to stay. But what we need to understand is even in the good times, it's going to pass. It's going to pass away. So all this stuff that we accumulate, all this stuff we have to have, Peter wrote that it's going to melt with fervent heat. John writes that it passes away. But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. And that phrase says a whole lot more than what we just he- what we hear. He that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. Where? In the new heaven and the new earth. Now picture with me, if you will, the Garden of Eden. Okay? Constant year-round temperature about... 72 degrees. Sometimes a little cooler for those of us that are very warm. Maybe a little warmer for those who love the sunshine and the heat. Tropical climate. In this tropical climate, there's all kinds of trees growing. Fruit trees. Coconut trees. Nut trees. See? Now, I know about nut trees. I've looked at my genealogy. Okay? Our family tree is full of nuts. <laughs> but, uh, especially my generation. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, all of these things are good for food and to be desired. And they're pleasant to look at. And you walk around and you don't ever get hungry. You see something and you whoa, that looks good. And so you pick it and eat it. Blackberries everywhere in patches and no thorns. And blueberries with no thorns and raspberries, no thorns. Cranberries, any kind of berry you want. Currants, elderberries. And they're not bitter like some elderberries. These are all sweet. And there are insects to pollinate the flowers but the insects don't, speak, don't sting humans. Now, you get in the picture? It's incredible. Never rains. You get up every morning, and the dew has come up out of the ground and watered the ground, so there's dew on the ground, but after the dew comes off the ground, then it dries up, and then everything's fine. All the animals eat grass. Okay. 
And there are colors you have never seen before. Colors you have never even imagined. And sounds that you have never imagined before. Sounds you have never heard. Ranges too high for the human ear to hear. And ranges too low for the human ear to hear. But you can hear them all. And smells, oh wow, nothing stinks. Everything smells good. You got that picture in your mind? Wow. New heaven, new earth. Made like the original earth, only not cursed by man's sin. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever on this new earth. Me too. Wow. How incredible that's going to be. The world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. Say, what's that mean? It means that's, it's getting close to the end. That's what that means. It's the last time. And you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it's the last time. Now, an Antichrist is somebody who denies Christ. Okay? We think of somebody who says they are Christ. But the actual meaning of the word is somebody who denies that there is a Christ. Man, there's lots of those today. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One. Say, what's that? It's an anointing. Okay? An anointing. An ordaining. And you know all things. You all know these things. That's what he's saying. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you do know the truth. And there's no lie that is of the truth. Who's a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whoso denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. He that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let us therefore, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. That which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. Ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise that He hath promised us, even, what's the promise? Eternal life. Wow! What a promise! So when I go by Roselawn Cemetery, and I stop the car, and I get out and walk across the hill, and I see that bronze plate on the ground, says Gene Casey and Joyce Casey, has the dates of their birth and death, the year, and the, on each of them. I look at that, and I rejoice knowing they're not there. Their bodies are there. And the coffins are there. But they're not there. They have eternal life. And I have eternal life. And it's not will have eternal life. It's has eternal life. 
John chapter 3, verse uh, 36, I think it is. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Okay? So God's angry with those that don't have Jesus Christ. But those of us who have Jesus Christ have eternal life now. And quite honestly, I'm looking ready for the next part to start. Because this old body isn't doing quite as well as I would have hoped. Okay? If I was in ninth grade, running the half mile and the mile, just eating it up, loving the feel of the wind in my face, whether I was racing with somebody or whether I was just running across the field, it didn't matter to me. I could not imagine taking three steps in a row very hurriedly and having to go, <gasps> never dawned on me that I would put my foot forward and my knee would say, don't do that, don't do that. Or I'd lay down in bed and, and be just waking up to a brand new day, talking to the Father, talking to the Son, talking to the Holy Spirit, and roll over and start to get out of bed. And my body would say, Oh, no, you're not. My back would say, uh-huh, yeah, go ahead. I'll hurt you again. <laughs> you know, go ahead. Try that. Oh, and sometimes my neck hurts so bad. Yeah. When I wiggle it around, I can hear it making noise. And the noise says, you better quit. I'm going to hurt you. I'm fixing to get a new glorified body. Okay? And when you come by the, the funeral home to view my body and you walk past, I want you to know that the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. I am not there. I've gone home. Okay? And why would I take an old broken down body to heaven? Just unnecessary. So I'm going to get a new glorified body. And woohoo! It's going to be fun. We'll never have to sleep, which would be a good thing because there's no night there. But we'll never have to sleep. But you can sleep. You can lay down and relax, take a nap. But you don't have to because you don't ever get tired. I'm telling you, heaven is the place I want to be. But I'm just going to be there for supper. For the marriage supper. And then I'm coming back with Jesus to rule and reign for a thousand years and then all through the ages to come. He hath promised us eternal life. Now, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And you need not that any man teach you but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in Him. Now, what's the anointing? The anointing of the Holy Spirit. It came at Pentecost. And indwelt the believers. And when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, He had dwelt me. Wow. January 1980, I yielded complete control. And then he didn't just indwell me, he filled me. He took over. Whoa. 
For those that have never experienced this, there's no way I can describe it to you so that you'll understand. When you give complete control of your life over to the Holy Spirit and you just let Him make all the decisions, then you get the peace that passes all understanding. And the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. It's incredible. And it all comes from yielding to the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, Brother Casey, is that something special for preachers? No. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Be ye filled with the Spirit. It's a command for all Christians. Be ye filled with the Spirit. So if, it's, if you've never been filled with the Spirit, you're disobedient to the Scripture, to the Word of God. And I don't want that for you. Verse 28. Now we get to the good part. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. See that? See, Brother Casey, what's that mean? That means there's some folks who are going to be ashamed when Jesus comes. Believers. Believers. Because he's not writing here to lost people. He says, now little children, abide in Jesus. Abide in Him. Abide in the Holy Spirit. That when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Let me ask you. What have you done lately that you would have been ashamed if Jesus had showed up right then? Oh, Brother Casey, nothing, you know. Really. You haven't watched anything on TV that you would have been embarrassed if Jesus had showed up and sat down beside you and said, Hey, what you watching? Are those sexual innuendos? Are those people committing adultery? Is that fornication? Is that murder? Did that guy just take my name in vain? Would you be ashamed if the Lord Jesus was sitting there? Because He is, by the way. If you abide in Him, He's there. Or, you're riding down the road and somebody cuts you off. And you may not say that loud, but in your heart you explain to them that if they can't drive it, they need to park it. You know? Or, Rather than use curse words, you just lean on your horn and do a little Christian cussing. Hmm. Would you be ashamed if Jesus was sitting in the car beside you and he said, what are you doing? Hmm. Or have you been someplace if Jesus had showed up? You would have been ashamed. It's interesting to me how many Christians I meet now who think that as long as you don't do it all the time, it's probably okay. You say, do what? Oh, whatever you just thought of. That's what. 
I don't have to name them all. You already know. And now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Do you know what that, those last three words mean? The at his coming? Anybody got that? Okay. <clears throat> when I tell you, you're going to think, oh, yeah, I knew that. Okay. It means he is coming. You just don't know when. We don't know when, but he is coming. I can't believe he didn't come yesterday and hadn't come yet today. You see, Brother Casey, do you really expect Jesus to come every day? No, not every day, but any day. I expect him to come over and over again. Oh, one time, and I'm out of here. He is coming again. When? In the hour that you think not. Okay? So when somebody names the day and time, I don't look for him that day. Because he's coming in the hour in which you think not. He's coming as a thief in the night. Okay? It's always night somewhere. But the idea of thief in the night doesn't describe the time that he's coming. It describes how he's going to come. You ever have somebody walk up, knock on your door? Uh, Hello, can I help you? Uh, Yeah, we're here to rob you. Please open the door. No, they don't do that. How How do they get to it? They slip in the window. Or they pop open the door and come in quietly. Because you're not, they don't want you to expect them. That's how Jesus is coming back. Very quickly, silently. Like a thief in the night. In the hour that you think not. But He is coming. He is coming. Praise the Lord. He said, if I go away, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. We have this incredible promise from God. Not only that we have eternal life, but that we're going to be able to spend it with Him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What a comfort it is to know when Jesus comes back, all of the believers are going. But some of them are going to be ashamed. 
I'm glad you all are here tonight because if Jesus comes during the service, those folks that are sitting at home, he's going to know where they are. He's going to know what they're doing, what they're watching, and they're going to be ashamed that it's coming. I had somebody tell me one time, well, Brother Casey, those things won't matter in heaven because he's going to wipe away all tears from your eyes. Why would you be crying in heaven in the first place? Well, if you're ashamed that it's coming, that could bring on some tears. You know, have you ever been so ashamed that you cried about it? Woo! And by the way, the wiping away the tears part doesn't happen until the end of the millennial kingdom. If Jesus comes back tonight, that's a thousand and seven years from now. Okay? 3113, no, 3120. That's a thousand, seven years. You say, wow, I can't even think that far ahead. I know. I remember in fifth grade thinking, what will I be doing in the year 2000? Wow. I'll be 49 years old. I could not imagine being 49 years old. I didn't even know anybody that old except maybe my grandma and grandpa. Wow. 49. I wouldn't mind being 49 again. <laughs> Give me an extra 13 years. Let's hurry on. Now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. We'll pause there for tonight. In your family tree, your genealogy, I know you probably have the name of your father and your mother, and then it comes down to you, you know, and up above above them is your father's father and mother, and your mother's mother and mother, and above that are your grandparents' father and mother, and their father and mother, father and mother, father and mother, and up above them, father and mother, 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 father and mother. And he just keeps on going. None of that matters. Okay? None of that matters. What matters is when I look at my family tree and there's God the Father and there's me. God the Father and me. I am a son of God. And over here there's another line that comes down and it says Jesus. He's the only begotten of the Father. Actually, he's up here with the Father because they're the same. 
But he's also a son of God, so he gets two mentions in the family tree. And over here is my wife's name. And over here, well, I'll let you put in the names. Over here, and over here, and over here, and over here. Just keeps going. Because I'm a son of the Father. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That's why I don't want to be ashamed of his coming. Woo! It was bad enough having mom catch me and Ron doing stuff we weren't supposed to be doing. You know? Expressing our superiority over each other. Bam, 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 bam. And all of a sudden she'd just be there. Oh, mom's here. Jesus is coming back in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Are you ready? Yeah. Is your family ready? People you work with ready? Say, no, Brother Casey, I've done everything I know to do. Okay. Then pray. Pray. Pray is not the last resort. Prayer is the first opportunity. Pray for them. And ask God to work in their hearts. And then sit back and watch Him work. Expect Him to work. It's fun watching God work. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. For allowing us to be called your children. For loving us as a father. Dear Lord, help us to recognize that the things of this world are of no value. The only things that count are things that are going to count in eternity. Help us to make wise, long-term investments. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory for what you do for us. Bring us back safely on Wednesday and watch over us through the week. Dear Lord, there are some folks here tonight who have special requests, special burdens on their hearts. You know each and every one. You know the one that I'm thinking of right now. And I ask you, to begin now, working in that heart, in that life, to accomplish your purpose in order that your name might be glorified. We will give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.